This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm hoping that no one enjoyed lunch too much. We're going to have that afternoon slumber going on here, but it's a blessing to have you all here. Uh, As you know, we're going to be talking about a call to arms, how to fully engage in God's church. This first hour, we're going to be looking more at the grand scheme. How can we implement the things that we are learning into our church? How do we get our church on an evangelism cycle? Why do we need to do this? How can we get every member involved in the work? And then in the next hour, we're going to make it a little more practical application. How do we implement friendship evangelism in our community? If I'm shy, if I am a very uh, introvert person, how can I possibly reach out and minister to people for Christ? I don't know about you, but I can fit into that category. How do I step out and reach hearts for Jesus Christ? Uh, Before we begin, if you would just bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today and we are seeking your guidance and your grace, Lord. Father, we come to you as your children, Lord. We need your spirit, Father. Lord, you know our needs, you know our churches, Father. May you guide us, Lord, as we learn from your word. May you help us to know how to implement these things for your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I failed to introduce myself. My name is Carissa McSherry. And typically when I travel to these seminars, I'm asked the same three questions over and over again. So I prefer just to get it out of the way from the get-go. My name is Carissa McSherry. I'm six feet, two inches tall. And yes, I play basketball. So if you are wondering, your questions are now answered and you can think about the rest of the presentation. Uh, I am from Sacramento, California area, born, raised, and stuck. Uh, No, I I love California. It's been a blessing to be there. And I've been working full-time with Amazing Facts since 2011. I work primarily with their AFCO department. How many of you have heard of AFCO before? Awesome. Okay, the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. So we're traveling around doing evangelism training weekends, and then we also have our four-month program every fall. Uh, But it's a blessing to be here with you. Back in 2006, I actually attended AFCO myself as a student. And I remember twice a week going out and knocking on doors and doing outreach. Have you ever gone out and knocked on doors in your community? It can be a little terrifying at first, right? You're not sure what to expect, and you're there, and you're knocking on doors. And, and I remember meeting a woman by the name of Betsy. Now, I loved the outreach territory that I was given. You see, it was, it was not the luxury area. It was not the, the upper class. I was, in, I was in the ghettos. I was in those areas where the cops are constantly circling. You know those areas, right? where you're walking through the apartment complex and you see the guys out front and they're smoking dope. They're dealing drugs. I soon became known as the Christian girl (laughs) as I go door to door in that community sharing Christ. But you know, I loved it because the people were real. They were genuine and they were open. They felt their need and it was such a blessing to minister to them, particularly, as I mentioned, to Betsy. Betsy was the Bible study contact of your dreams, the one who is always there, the one who is always excited about the Bible study lessons, that's sharing what she's learning with others. And and I remember every single week going to her house, and and she'd just 
was thrilled at what God was teaching her through his word. When the prophecy seminar came to town, I invited Betsy to come, and she said, absolutely, I'm there. So every night I would pick her up at her apartment and I would take her to this prophecy seminar. One night I was traveling around in, in my outreach territory and I was visiting some of my Bible study friends who hadn't come to the seminar. And, and as I'm visiting with them, I had this very strong impression. You need to go visit Betsy. Have you ever argued with the Lord before? I certainly have. And I was in that moment. But God, why do I need to visit Betsy? She's going to be coming to the Prophecy Seminar tonight. If I go to her house constantly, what is she going to think? I'm stalking her, right? <laughs> Lord, I can't give that impression. I don't want the pressure. And so I said, Lord, I don't need to visit her. I'll see her tonight. And yet that impression kept coming, and I kept pushing it away. And finally, finally I bowed. All right, Lord, I'll drop by really quick. I'll see if she's home. And so I remember parking the car, and I, I drove on over to her apartment, knocked on that door, and there was silence, no answer. I knocked again because I knew that the Lord wanted me there for a reason, and yet again, no answer, and so I knocked a third time, and the person who answered the door was not the Betsy I was expecting to see. You could see this look of complete despair and depression on her face, and I said, Betsy, what's wrong? What happened? I went into her living room and she said, Carissa, I was just sitting on the couch trying to determine the best way to take my life, the best way to commit suicide. What if I had not finally given up and listened to the voice of God? What if I had not gone to her house that day? You see, there are people all around us there may be people here at GYC, but I know certainly there are people in our community that are at that same level of despair. They've been crying out to God. They're seeking for answers. They're looking for it in all the wrong places. And God has called us to be the ones to reach their heart. God has called us to be his ambassadors. Could there possibly be a greater calling for our life? Desire of Ages, page 142. We are told that God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. Did that humble you a bit? God could do it without us, right? He can speak through that donkey. He can make the rooster crow. God could do it without our aid. But in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. In order to enter into his joy, the joy of seeing souls redeemed by his sacrifice, we must participate in his labors for their redemption. Why do we need to be a part of this work? Why has God called us to be ambassadors for him? You see, it is because God wants us to have his character. And the only way that we can develop that character, the only way that our lives can experience that true and fulfilling joy is if we are a part of his work, if we are working with our Lord and our Savior. I don't know about you, but maybe you've been preparing to teach a Sabbath school or to, to preach a sermon or to give a Bible study, and, 
And as you were preparing, you, you end up in your room just crying out to God and saying, God, unless I'm right with you, unless I am surrendered to you, how can I possibly teach these truths to others? Have you been there before? And you're wrestling with God. God, unless you bless me, how can I possibly share this with others? And you see, that is what I love the most about ministry, or one of the things I love the most about ministry, is it constantly brings me to that throne of grace. God, I can't do it unless you are doing it through me. Wrestling with God. Remember one summer I was working in the Sacramento area as a Bible worker, and Sacramento can get pretty hot during the summer. Out every day, every afternoon, knocking on doors. And, and I met this one man by the name of Rick. Rick was a construction worker, and he was currently out of work, and so it was a perfect opportunity to study the Bible with him. I asked him if he was interested in Bible studies, and he said, I heard about this book called Revelation, but I don't know anything about it. Really? I have a whole Bible study on Revelation. You want to check it out? Yeah, sure, why not? So a friend and I went to his house, and, and there we were presenting Daniel chapter 2. What's contained in Daniel 2? The statue. The statue, right? Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. And, and how many times have we heard these messages as Adventists? We could probably recite it, right? From memory. And I remember that summer, I was giving that Bible study so many times, over and over and over again. In fact, I actually started to have dreams with the image in it. Okay, so I could do this Bible study in my sleep. And there I was, sitting in Rick's family room, and I, I'm sharing Daniel 2 with him, and, and Babylon, and then me to Persia, and then you have Greece. And, and Rick looked at me, and he said, you mean... God knows the future? Yeah, 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 God, God knows the future. That's awesome! <laughs> the Bible can be trusted, you know it's real? Yeah, yeah, it is. That's awesome, man! <laughs> and his wonderful Californian lingo, right? And I remember listening to Rick and going, yeah, I, yeah, it is awesome. You see, I had lost my passion for it because I'm so used to hearing it. But when I saw someone else learning these truths for the first time, suddenly that passion ignited in my own heart again. That's right. I serve a God that knows the future. That's right. I serve a God that cares about my future. So often, we go to church and it becomes our culture and our routine every Sabbath. That's just what you do. But you see, it's not until you share these beautiful truths with someone else. It's not until you see their joy as they realize that God has a special day that he wants to spend with them. That God wants to strengthen the relationship with them. When you see their joy, it revives and inspires you once again. How do we have God's character? It's through doing his work, by being a part of this great gospel commission. We are told, 
wherever a church is established, all the members should engage actively in missionary work. Again, this is Testimony, Volume 6, page 296. It says they should visit every family in their neighborhood and they should know their spiritual condition. If professed Christians had engaged in this work from the time their names were first placed on the church books, thousands upon thousands would today stand with God's commandment-keeping people. If we had done this work from the beginning, thousands upon thousands would now stand with God's people. We are told wherever a church is established, 20% of the members should engage actively in missionary work. Half the members, right? How many members? All. There is no exceptions. And yet, how many times have we had people tell us, you know, I'm really glad you do mission work. I'm glad you give Bible studies. I'm glad you do outreach, but that's not my gift. Have you heard that before? Absolutely. How many members should be involved actively in missionary work? All of them, all of us has a role. Now granted, 1 Corinthians 12, we are all part of a body. One is the ears, one is the nose, one's the hand. We have different strengths, but we are all called to be missionaries. Regardless of your occupation, this is your first profession. We are called to be missionaries. I have a friend, actually, I can rat her out since she's in the audience, my sister, and she sometimes drives me crazy. You see, my sister recently got engaged. Well, congratulations, by the way. <laughs> and all the time I hear about her wonderful fiance. Have you had a friend like that before? All the time, oh, he's so perfect. Oh, he's so wonderful. Oh, he did this, oh, he did that, and oh, he practically walks on, on water, right? Just, just perfect. And sometimes it drives you crazy. I hear about them all the time. Can't you talk about anything else? I have never had to come to my sister and say, you know what, Des? I haven't heard you talk about Johannes for a while. What's wrong with you? I don't have to do that. Why? Because she loves him. It's just natural for her to want to talk about him. What if our relationship with Christ was the same? What if we loved God so much? What if we so valued our relationship with Jesus that you could not shut us up? That's all we want to talk about. What else is there? I have a God who loves me. I have a God who cares about my future. Do we love God that much? I don't know about you, but there have been times where I'm supposed to be heading out on outreach and I've agreed to go and I'm thinking, all right, Got to talk about God now. Is that how it should be? Never. Never. It should be that passion and that joy that the early apostles had. In fact, they were threatened with death, threatened with being in prison. And they said, shut us up if you will, but I am still going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we have that passion and that relationship with God today? Again, as we look at the evangelism cycle and how to actually implement it in our church and get our church involved, we are reminded that the Lord's method is the only one to follow. 
Today we are not looking at the Carissa McSherry method, the Amazing Facts method. We are looking at Christ's method. What did he do? Because you see, his method still applies today. The Lord's method is to be followed. Revelation 3.20 says that Jesus is standing at the door and doing what? He's knocking. Notice it does not say, ready or not, here I come, as he kicks in that front door. He's knocking. And it's the same for us. We're going to come across some people that may seem like they have that cold heart. Stand at that door with Jesus and knock. But we never force our way in. You see, as we go out seeking to do evangelism, we are not trying to convert people. We are looking for the people that God is already converting. Do you see the difference? I'm not going now, all right, who am I going to convert now? I'm saying, Lord, who is open to your Holy Spirit? Who is calling out for you? Lord, show me that person. I want to work with you. Testimonies, volume 7, page 38. We are told the Lord's methods are to be followed by doing house-to-house work, by giving Bible readings in families. The worker may gain access to many who are seeking for truth. By opening the scriptures, by prayer and exercising faith, he is to teach the people the way of the Lord. Notice it does not say, put out a nice billboard in front of your church advertising the, the service times, right? Have a great Christmas concert and then all the world will come into your church. No, it's saying go to them. Go house to house. Get to know those in your community. Be active and engaged. As I mentioned, I work with Amazing Facts. And our AFCO department, the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism, has multiple schools across, across the world. One in Europe and one in Philippines. And um, we have one school that has recently opened up in the country of Indonesia. Has anyone been to Indonesia before? Several. Awesome. Very good. Beautiful people. Beautiful country. And I remember going there this past year and meeting just dedicated soldiers for Jesus Christ. You may not know, but Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. And yet, in the heart of the largest Muslim country in the world, we have an evangelism training school. And when I was traveling to the school, I was getting reports about some of their outreach efforts. Reports about the call porter that was going door to door and the man was not happy with him and chased him down the street with a sword in hand. Reports of our student that was offering Bible studies and was slapped across the face. And as I go there and I am training them on outreach, I am training them to go out and do the work and to witness to people. And, and the whole time I'm thinking, God, don't let them die. God, protect them. They would come to me after class and they would share with me, Carissa, we just invited that Muslim family to come to our health seminar. Carissa, we were just giving a Bible study to that Muslim woman. You see, they were not afraid to share the gospel. Why? Because they loved Jesus Christ. They had counted the cost and it was worth it. And yet often we come back to the States and we're holding seminars and, and people come up to us with this great look of, of fear and trepidation. 
They say, I want to do evangelism. I want to go door to door, but, but what if they say no? What if they say no? In Indonesia, they're being chased with swords. And we're afraid of a simple no. Where is our heart? Where is our passion today? We're going to be looking now at the evangelism cycle. The evangelism cycle is the harvest cycle. It's not an event or a process, but it's a cycle of preparing, preaching, and preserving. This is a cycle that I pray you'll be able to implement at your church when you return home. You see, what we often do in churches is we run a lot of events. We have a lot of great programs, but they're bridges to nowhere. They're not connected to anything. Instead of it being a lifestyle of evangelism, we run one event and we say, all right, we did our duty. We did our evangelism for the year. Or worse yet, maybe you've experienced this. You're in a church that's, that's dead. And you finally convince the church to do an evangelistic seminar. I want to do evangelism in the community. And they say, all right, fine, we'll do a seminar. They bring the speaker to town after sending out flyers in the mail. And two people come to the seminar and no one gets baptized. And then what does the church say about evangelism? Doesn't work. Is that true? Not at all. Evangelism works, but only when we use the proper method, only as we implement this cycle. Our first step that we've been looking at is personal preparation, preparing our own hearts and those of us in the church, preparing the soil, sowing the seed, cultivating, harvesting, and then lastly, preserving. Here's a story told of a farmer and this farmer was very frustrated with his crop. You see, he had gone out and he, was, he had tilled the ground and he had gotten rid of all the weeds and he had put in good fertilizer. He had made sure to, to water regularly to make sure that it was receiving the nutrients that it needed. And he went to his friend one day and he said, you know, it's been a couple months since I tilled that ground and yet, I still don't have any produce. And his friend asked him, well, what kind of fertilizer did you use? Oh, I use such and such and that balance. And well, that's good. How often do you water? Oh, you know, I water a couple times a week and I do it on this system and that. And well, that's, that's good. Well, tell me, what type of seed did you use? The farmer looks down and kind of scuffles his feet a bit and says, well, I didn't. I didn't put in the seed. How effective should that harvest be? You can't expect anything because nothing was planted. And it's the same in our churches. We expect to have great results. Where was the planting? Do we have the seeds? How can we build that in our church today? All right, phase one is personal preparation. As we begin the evangelism cycle, a time of preparation is greatly needed for each individual and collectively as the church as well. We need that time of revival, deepening that commitment to prayer. Maybe you can have a 40 days of prayer at your church. Maybe that could be the pastor's special emphasis for, 
for over a month, again, just praying and coming close and claiming the promises together. This is where you start the planning stage. So what are we looking at? How are we going to run bridge events? How are we going to connect those to the prophecy seminar? Once the prophecy seminar begins, how are we going to nurture those that are attending? How are we going to visit them and prepare them for baptism? Following the seminar, who's going to do follow-up with the new believers? Who's going to follow up with those that are still continuing Bible studies? Then how do we transition that to more bridge events and then into a prophecy seminar? Do you see the cycle? How are we doing this? So at this point, we need to look into the planning, also into the training. What we encourage each church to do is come up with an outreach leadership team. Is there a team at your church between 6 to 12 people that are dedicated to evangelism, that want to see the work go forward in your community? That team now works together to come up with a calendar to make sure that everyone is being utilized uh, to make it a success. And lastly, we're developing a church mission that is centered around the Gospel Commission. What is the purpose of your church? Why does it exist? Is it to babysit the sheep? To keep that status quo? Well, we've done this for generations. Recently, I was visiting a church with a friend of mine, and that church had just paid off their mortgage. So that Sabbath, they were celebrating, and they were just praising God that the mortgage was now paid off. One of the members called out and says, well, now what are we going to do? When the money comes in, what are we going to send it to? The mortgage is paid off. And the church leadership team began to talk about, well, the carpet needs to be done and, and you know, money for the stage and for the piano. And later I was talking with my friend and I asked her, what about evangelism? If there's extra money, why is the focus of the church the piano? What about evangelism? And she says, oh, that's not really our focus right now. Why do you exist? If evangelism is not your focus, close your doors. Why does the church exist today? Does your church have an evangelism focus? Personal preparation, again, spirituality and the practical Christian experience. The focus is the mission of the church family focused on reaching others with the gospel. And in planning, we need a clear and organized plan for evangelism. And lastly, the training. How many members and leaders within the church family are trained? So you have this outreach leadership team, and their goal is not only to plan these events, but to also train the rest of the church. Are you having monthly programs where you are training your church on how to give Bible studies? Are you training them on how to do friendship evangelism? Are you training them on how to call their friends to make a decision for Jesus Christ? As we go through these seminars over the next few days, we're going to be looking at, again, how to give Bible studies and how to really do these practical uh, evangelism methods. But I also want to take it a step above that. As you're listening to it, be considering, how do I go back and teach this to my church? Take notes. And if I go too fast, I'll give you my email and I will send you notes. Because I want you to be able to go back to your church in week one. Here it is. I want to train you so each of us is actively involved in finishing God's work in our community. Phase two, we are now preparing the soil. 
If we want success in reaching people, we must follow Christ's method of meeting the needs of people and of winning their confidence. The question has been asked, if your church closed its doors today, would your community even know? If your church closed its doors, would your community know? Are you making a day-to-day difference in your community? What type of community service programs do you have? At this point, preparing the soil, we're advertising for Bible studies. There are many ways to do that. Uh, The easiest route, and yet a little more expensive, is to do a Bible study mailing card. So you send out this card to the entire community. You have your outreach leadership team ready and prepared to follow up with these leads. You start Bible studies with them, and about seven weeks later is when your prophecy seminar begins. So you're able to transition those Bible studies into your prophecy seminar. Otherwise, if you don't have the budget for it, door-to-door surveys. Door-to-door surveys still work. Going door-to-door and offering free community programs, healthy living programs, family life programs, and as part of that, also Bible study programs. Starting a prayer ministry at your church, and our goal again is to just build that database of names. We want to build as many connections in the community as possible. All right, so here is the harvest indicator. We're looking at the number of positive relationships between the church and the community, the number of positive relationships between members and non-members, and the names of people in the interest database. If you have two people in your interest database, how big is your prophecy seminar going to be? Maybe, maybe those two will come out, right? You need to have that, that funnel full. There's a a program I would highly recommend for this, and it's called Disciples. Has anyone heard about Disciples before? Okay, a couple hands. If you go to www.getdisciples.com, getdisciples.com, they have an excellent database that we use at AFCO at Amazing Facts to track all the interest that we're receiving. And once the prophecy seminar begins, you're able to track what nights they're attending, what decisions they're making. You're able to give that report to the pastor, and it facilitates um, the follow-up as well. So getdisciples.com. All right, phase three, we're looking now at planting that seed. In the parable of the sower, Luke chapter 8, the seed represents the word of God, and the sower represents the soul winner. How should we as Christians share God's word? Couple ideas. Sharing your personal testimony. Do our testimonies have power? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, often when people ask us, what's your testimony? Tell me about it. Sometimes we have to dig a little deep and we're looking back 10 years back in our life or 20 years or 40 years or 50 years trying to remember that testimony. But you see, the most powerful Christians are the ones who, when asked to share their testimony, can share something that God has done in their life in the last 24 hours. A testimony that is fresh and that is new every day because we serve a living God. Drop off Bible studies. You may meet some individuals, maybe some friends at work, that you may not be able to sit down in their home and give a Bible study. They have a very busy schedule. You don't interact with them much. But they are willing to have you come by and just drop off a Bible study. You come back next week, see how they enjoyed it. Do you have any questions? All right, here's your next study. 
Again, you don't want to be the, the postal service just delivering Bible studies. <laughs> the goal for it is as you give that Bible study, you're building a relationship. You're asking about their family, and you're asking if they are enjoying the lessons, building that connection. And Lord willing, once the prophecy seminar starts, they're going to transition right over to the seminar. You can do DVD Bible studies, dropping off that final events DVD to them, possibly the prophecy code or any other seminar that you know of. Uh, some people are more visual. Personal in-home Bible studies, that's what we're going to be talking about on Friday morning small group Bible studies, and literature and books. How do we go about finding fertile ground? How does the farmer find fertile ground? He tills the soil. Absolutely. The farmer makes it fertile. He's, he's tilling it, right? He's plowing the field. He's putting in all the... Uh, I'm thinking manure, but that's not the right term, the fertilizer. <laughs> we have horses, and so that's what's used for our garden, so forgive me. Uh, yeah, the fertilizer, absolutely. He makes that ground. And you see, we need to go through that same effort. So often we think that it's just going to come to us. But Christ's method was going out to them, listening to see who was open and who was most receptive, and he would, of course, share the gospel with them. This past May, I had the opportunity to travel to the country of Greece. We were holding an evangelism training program there, and then following that program, we had a prophecy seminar there with one of the evangelists. And before I went to Greece, I kept receiving the same warning over and over again. You can't convert Greeks. You can't change them. They will always be Greek Orthodox. You cannot convert Greeks. In fact, even going there to, that, to the country, we had many people in the church telling us the same thing. You can't do it. It's not going to work. And yet we worked with a church in the heart of Athens, an international church, that was doing it. We worked with an international church that was not listening to the restrictions. Their method was different than I had seen before, and I so appreciated it. You see, every week, typically around three or four times a week, they would have small group Bible studies. They would invite those that they worked with, friends in the community, to come to this seminar. Their Bible study did not last one hour. It lasted five. They would start with a dinner, and they're just relaxing and socializing, and, and then the Bible study, and then more time just socializing and connecting. And, and I remember going to one of these Bible studies and thinking, five hours, multiple times a week. But you see what it did is it built this family and this connection. As I went around one afternoon at a small group, I, I started to interact with all the guests, and, and I asked this one man who was a Muslim, how did you hear about the prophecy seminar? Or how did you get connected with this group? And he said, oh, they're my family. Family? He's not related. He doesn't look like any of them here. But he considered them family. I went to another man. It was his first time attending, and he was atheist. And I asked him, how did you get connected with this group? Oh, they're my family. They're your family. Who are you related to? No, 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 they're, they're just my family. I went to another man, a Greek Orthodox man, 
And I asked him, how did you get connected with this group? It's my family. At that prophecy seminar, we saw, I believe it was six Greeks accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and go into that water grave of baptism. But you can't reach Greeks. Or so we were told. You see, the way that you reach them is by making them family. By building that relationship, that small group atmosphere. And it's the same here. Are we being hospitable? Do we have small groups going on in our neighborhoods? How incredibly powerful it would be if every church member had a small group Bible study in their neighborhood. Can you imagine how quickly the work would be finished in the United States and across the world? What are we doing to build that family, to break down those barriers? All right, planting the seed. We are told that in God's word that if we sow sparingly, we will also reap sparingly. So when planting the seed, we must remember the amount of direct spiritual outreach by the church towards the community, and the number of members directly sharing the gospel with others, and the number of in-home personal Bible studies being given are good indicators of what the harvest result will be. So is this occurring in your church? If it's not, pause. Make it happen before moving to the next step. Phase four, now we are cultivating for the harvest. It's vital that we help people to grow, develop, and experience a deep love, trust, and commitment to Jesus Christ. We're continuing the Bible studies at this stage, conducting short bridge events at your church, and we're advertising for the upcoming prophecy seminar, or whatever meetings you're going to be holding at your church. Bridge events. What do we do? What type of events do we hold? How can we make this effective in our community? I always think back to the story of Moses. When Moses was called up to that, the mount, and he saw that burning bush, he was given a mission that was impossible. Leading thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelites across the desert, away from the Egyptians to the promised land. Impossibility. How could he accomplish this work? One man. Moses had something in his hand, a rod. And what did God tell him to do with it? Cast it down. Cast it down, and God worked a miracle with what was in his hand. In our churches, sometimes we look at them and we say, you know, this church is dead. There's nothing going on here. I don't know how we're going to do this work. Bridge events? I can't even get people to come out for prayer meeting. But God says the same thing to us that he says to Moses. It may look like an impossibility, but what is in your hand? What is in, within your reach already? Give that to me and you will see miracles. What is in your hand? What are the strengths of your church? Do you have a strong community service program? Do you have a strong VBS? Do you have ladies that enjoy quilting? How can they turn quilting into a ministry? How can they use that to serve the community? Do you have physicians? Are they giving health lectures and inviting the community out? 
How can we use these tools to reach others for Christ? Here's some examples of bridge events, a stop smoking class, sacred music concert, a new start or chip program. We found that's very effective, especially now with the health crisis that we're in, depression recovery, Lastly was the flea market or community events. If you have a flea market in your area, uh, we have one near where I live, and the local church has been excellent. Several, several times a year, they'll go out and bring tons of free material to give out at that flea, flea market, flea booth. Uh, when people come to a community event like that, they're looking for a good deal. And what could be better than free? I remember one Christmas we went, and before giving out the DVDs and the Steps to Christ, we wrapped them in Christmas wrap. And so then, of course, people want a free gift. And for all those that had forgotten to get something for their mother-in-law, here's a free gift for your mother-in-law, right? <laughs> Enjoy, pass it along, share it. It makes a difference. A few more ideas of bridge events, uh, financial seminars, cooking schools, and then lastly, family life weekends. Are you helping to encourage those in your community on parenting, um, on relationships, spouses, uh, encouraging them in their walk, especially those that have come through a VBS program? It's a great way then to transition that into a family life weekend. Make sure that you're having fellowship time afterwards. The goal is not to have them come in and go out. The goal is to connect with them, build those relationships. You see, the idea behind bridge events is I am bridging that person into the prophecy seminar. You will find many, many people that are afraid to step into a church. They're terrified. I don't know why. For some reason, I think we have the reputation we bite or something. Um, but they're afraid, maybe from past experiences. Sure. Wow. And I said, I'm in, I'm in church, you know? And he goes, well, like, you want me to just turn around and go home? I said, well, absolutely not. No. But, you know, he kind of got a little upset, and so I just hung up with him. And then next thing I know, he sits down right next to me, and he's afraid of being judged. He's telling everybody in the church, I'm sorry if I had known that I was going to be in church, I would have dressed better. And, uh, you know, he didn't want to sure. change the fellowship because he was afraid of what he looked like. And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I said, you're here. <laughs> right. That's all that matters. Praise God. Awesome. Yeah, right, absolutely. They don't want to encounter judgmental. They're by themselves. They have no connections. They're afraid of walking into a church and having everyone look back at them, right? And so how do we break those barriers? Well, it's truly through bridge events. Come on out to this, this um, neutral location. We're going to show you that we actually care, build those relationships. And then it's easier for them to transition into the church or into a prophecy seminar program. I'm going to go through the next portion here fairly quickly, but I want to focus on finding ripe fruit. We are told that the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. How many of you enjoy gardening? Few of us. Okay, very good. What happens to a ripe harvest? If you do not pluck the fruit, it's going to rot. It's of no use. It's going to fall to the ground. Did you know that the same thing can happen in soul winning? There are people all around us that are ripe, 
they are ready, they are receptive, and what happens if we don't pick that fruit? They're going to rot. The cares of the world are going to come up again and, and drag away that spiritual interest. We need to grab them while they're ripe. Do you remember the vision that Ellen White once had? She sees a group of people that are out picking berries. And as they're picking these berries, she saw some people grabbing the, the nice, fresh blueberries and, and sticking them into the basket. And yet others were reaching in and grabbing for those green berries. And they're yanking on the vine and they're pulling them out and then putting them in the basket in a nice squished mess, right? And she tells them, don't touch the green berries. Let them ripen on the vine and then come back once they have ripened and harvest those berries. What happens if you try and pick green fruit? Will it ever ripen? No. It is never going to taste the same. In fact, you can destroy it. And you see, it's the same for us in evangelism. We are going to meet people that are ripe. By God's grace, pick them. Put them in the basket. But if you meet people that are green, they just don't have that spiritual interest yet. Don't yank them off the vine. Don't force it. Let them ripen. That's the time to build these relationships with them. That's the time to invite them to these bridge events, to connect with them. But don't force them off the vine. Let God do the ripening. Phase four, this is again the harvest indicators. Number of people attending bridge events. The number of positive relationships between the church and the community. The number of positive relationships between members and non-members. Step five, now we are looking at the harvesting. Harvest time on the farm is the most joyful and rewarding event of the year. The following are components of the spiritual harvest. Again, now we are focusing on the public evangelistic seminar at our church. There's a strong message, appeals for decision. You may be having a revival meeting at your church or possibly Bible studies that are again uh, making appeals for decisions. I remember this story being told of one evangelist who was holding a prophecy seminar. And after someone looked at the schedule, they came to him and they said, you know, we've noticed you're just not including Jesus in these seminars. We're hearing about the beast and about the papacy, and, but nothing about Jesus. And the evangelist turned to him and said, oh, don't worry. I have a whole night on Jesus. Is that enough? No. Christ must be the center of how many messages? Of everything, of all. Revelation tells us that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. So now is the time as we transition into our prophecy seminars, our revelation seminars. Remember that the focus of these seminars is Jesus Christ. Are we encouraging them to build that relationship with him? Harvest indicators, again, do we have a crowd that's attending? How many non-members are attending this public seminar? Are we keeping that crowd, the number of guests that continue to attend the seminar? And are we developing positive relationships between visitors and members during the seminar? Sometimes 
we have to step outside of ourselves to understand our church. I have gone to many, many churches that, that claim they are the friendliest church in town and yet get nothing more than a brief greeting at the front door. Have you experienced that before? We don't realize that we are in a clique, that we have become so comfortable with our friends and we don't reach beyond us. I have an evangelist friend that was preaching at one church and as he was working with this church, it was so difficult to help them realize your purpose is not about yourself. Reach out, minister to the guests, get connected. And in fact, one night he was, he was walking down the hallway and he overheard two of the church members talking. And one church member turned to the next and said, I can't wait until this prophecy seminar is over. I can't wait until all these people go home. What is the point of our church? Are we reaching out? Are we looking beyond ourselves to build those relationships with those in the community? Lastly, we're looking now at preserving the harvest. Nurturing and discipling the new members is a must to protect them from the darts of Satan. We need to have weekly study opportunities. We should be training them how to share with others. And then also, lastly, the social component, making friends. Did you know that if someone does not have five close friends in the church within the first three months, statistically, they're gone. Five close friends within the first three months. Think back to those that have maybe even recently baptized in your church. Do they have those five close friends? Are you one of them? If they do not have those friends, they're gone. Now, we mentioned here about sharing and training them to share with others. Why is it so important to train new believers and to encourage them to share their faith? Why is that important? Because it would reinforce what they learn. Absolutely. Reinforcing the things that they're learning. What else? Absolutely beautiful. So gaining that stronger connection with Christ. Yes, they are. <laughs> They're not afraid. They're willing to share. They have that fire. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know about you all, but I am sixth generation Seventh-day Adventist. Is anyone else here six generations? Okay, there are a couple. And I remember when I first was desiring to do evangelism, and I said, okay, who is in my, my friend group that I can share these Bible studies with? And I realized I didn't have any close friends that were not Seventh-day Adventists. No one. But a new believer, when they first come to the church, how many of their friends are non-Adventists? Just about everyone. What a beautiful opportunity for them to turn that into a decision for Christ. All right, moving along here. What are the, why are the results so often small in evangelism? 2 Corinthians 9, 6, But this I say, who who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So, and God promises that there will be an increase. As we begin to close, an important reminder that I, I try to keep close to my heart. We are called 
to judge each day by the seeds that we sow, not by the harvest that we reap. Judge each day by the seeds that you have sown and not by the harvest that you've reaped. Sometimes we can get discouraged in evangelism because we want to see immediate results. And when we don't see it, we're questioning. I want to see it, Lord. Remember to count the seeds. You don't know how God will use those seeds in the harvest in the future. Many of you may have the question that I once had. Again, as I'm starting in evangelism, I remember thinking, how can I give a Bible study? How can I train my church? How can I share my testimony? How can I lead someone to a decision for Christ if I don't know everything that's in the Bible? I'm so new at this. What if they ask a question and I don't know the answer to it? And I remember finding this passage that I'm going to share with you now, and it brought so much encouragement to my life. It's Christ Object Lessons, page 354. We are told he who begins with a little knowledge in a humble way, and he tells what he knows while seeking diligently for further knowledge, will find the whole heavenly treasure awaiting his demand. The more he seeks to impart light, the more he will receive. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others with a love for soul, the plainer it begins to himself. How much knowledge do we need to have? A little. In other words, we all qualify. Take that little knowledge and go forth. And as we share that little knowledge, God is the one that teaches us more. God is the one that directs and instructs us. God is the one that makes us into an ambassador for him. Just recently, I was helping with a prophecy seminar. And a few nights into it, I noticed a guest come in, in closing here. I noticed a guest come into the seminar that was looking rather uncomfortable. She's looking around trying to figure out where the exits are in case she needs to escape. And as she walks in and she sits down again, she's constantly squirming and looking around. And, and I remember after the seminar, I made her my object. I'm going to go and visit. I'm going to go and talk with her. And so I sat down next to the woman that I'm going to call Ruby. I sat down next to Ruby and I just started a conversation with her, just becoming friends and becoming acquainted with her. And after a while, she mentioned that she had received a flyer for the seminar and and she was terrified about what's going to happen at the end of the world, and she wanted to know, and so she came to the seminar. She asked if she could have a ride home that night, and I said, sure, I'd be happy to take you. And, and I drove her home to the home that I later learned was her pimp's house. You see, Ruby was a prostitute, and she's selling herself for drugs. Yet Ruby is coming to a prophecy seminar because she wants to know if there's a Jesus that still loves her. She wants to know if she's gone too far or if she has hope of eternal life. Ruby continued to come to the prophecy seminar. Each night she was hearing Jesus lifted up in a way she had never heard before. She was making decisions for Christ and I remember her coming to us and saying, I've been clean from drugs for five days. Praise the Lord, Ruby. Six days, seven days, praise the Lord, Ruby. Finally, the time came where she moved out of her pimp's house, literally having to escape. 
And she said, I want to be baptized. I want to give my life wholly and completely to Jesus Christ. Amen? But I remember one night after the appeal had been made and Ruby was sitting in, in the pew still, I, I came by and I sat down next to her because I could tell she was distressed. And I asked her, you know, Ruby, what's going on? Are you okay? And she said, you know, Carissa, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be, I want to join the church. But I've done so much in my life. Can God ever forgive me? I said, Ruby, Jesus has a special promise in his word for you. <clears throat> we turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And the Bible tells us, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, Ruby, tonight when Jesus looks at you, he does not see a former prostitute. He does not see a former drug addict. Tonight, when Jesus looks at you, he sees a virgin. A virgin? Absolutely. Because you see, we serve a God that makes all things new. How beautiful it was to see the word of God and his word alone bring healing and freedom into her life. How beautiful to see her going to that watery grave of baptism, accepting Jesus as, his, as her Lord and Savior. There are people all around us, there are people in our community that are crying out and they're seeking and searching. By God's grace, may we be that hand reaching out and encouraging them to experience the joy in Christ that we have. Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you may open our eyes, change our hearts, Father. Help us to see people as you do, Lord. Father, we want to reach our community for you. Father, we want to strengthen our churches. Lord, may you teach us how. May you open doors. May you guide us in your way, Father. And Lord, truly our desire is to glorify your name on earth and to finish the work that you have given us to do. It is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.